This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, both uh, my cell phone uh, and my other cell phone. This may be the day I go from two to one. I might take the time to go upstairs to the third floor and uh, see if I can make some conversions because I've been planning on doing this for a while. But my phones were in my car and it's amazing how rattled you are. I know that they're there, but they're not beside me. You can tell already. There's just a just a calm blue ocean vibe that's come over the room, that's come over me from head to toe. Now, I'm telling you, there will be a day, and I don't think it's next year or the year after, where the internet won't even know I exist, where there won't... I'll have a flip phone. I'm going to have a Nokia phone from 1998, and I'm going to live in the woods and write manifestos. Not a van down by the river, but the woods. I'm just going to be that Justin Timberlake album, Man of the Woods. That's me. I don't know how to chop anything, and I don't think I'd be self-sufficient at killing food, but whatever. I'm going to, you're going to, you're never going to, I'm going to be a ghost. But, but for now, I have my phone within like three feet of me. It's just one of those things. Um, busy at city council today, but, um, I want to play you a clip that I heard of the mayor of, uh, Toronto yesterday. And, and she had a news conference, she had availability just after our show wrapped and, and, uh, and it was, she was talking about some of the things that are going to be dealt with at city council today, but something just jumped at me so much so that I called our uh, esteemed award-winning news anchor, uh, Dave Bradley. I also believe there's a rumor around the radio station that he's uh, interim news director, so I'm a lot more respectful of him. I only, you know, if his if his coffee needs heating up, I can I can do it. Um, but I called Dave and I said, "We need that clip. We need that clip, and I need to play that for the audience tomorrow at 6 a.m." So, um, and there's a lot of of financial issues with the city right now. Clearly, uh, they're broke. But I-, I wanted to hear something more from the mayor. Like what I heard from the mayor of New York City, who has his flaws, who has some holes in his game sometimes. He's, you know, he sometimes gets hammered on all sides, but their issues are our issues. Major city, pretty gigantic. Public transit, really important. Not everybody's come back to work. The federal government isn't funding them properly. And I'll give you one more that's similar. Um, new, uh, new problems, bigger problems than ever with people claiming, uh, leniency and claiming refugee status in those cities. They don't, it's a, it's the weirdest thing how they don't want to live in Syracuse in New York state. And they don't want to live in Sudbury in Ontario. It's the, I can't put my finger. It's the strangest thing that the big cities end up getting hit with that. So Olivia Chow yesterday said, Hey, listen. We got a new deal with the province, and that's great. But what we need is the federal government. Pony up. Come on up. Come on down. Price is right. We need the federal government to do good things and give us money. Here's what she said yesterday. Our shelter costs have skyrocketed, and we have asked the federal government to support us, to help us pay the bills. We've already paid most of the bills this year to shelter hotels. Okay, the city claims that they need about $890 million to handle refugee supports. $853 million. I'm a little high on that number. But $853 million for refugee support. What I'd like to hear um, from a leader, and I'm not saying Olivia Chow's not a leader, but what I want to hear from a leader is 
questions as well about policy. How, who can come? Who, do, who, who is Toronto responsible for taking care of? We're getting to the point where shelters, churches, um, are getting overflowed with people that are new to Canada as opposed to homegrown Canadians. You might not think that matters, but you just can't have an open border. And I want people to be able to succeed when they do arrive here. I want them to have opportunity. Maybe you came to Canada. Maybe your parents did. Maybe your grandparents did. I bet you they didn't sleep on the street. I bet you they didn't have a cot potentially at an armory or somewhere at Exhibition Place, which I think is starting next week, just to keep people out of the cold in the winter. Because what are we doing with them in March, April, and beyond? You know what you saw on the streets this spring and summer. So do I in my community as well. I want somebody that'll talk more like Eric Adams does. Eric Adams says, this isn't sustainable. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, says, I want the federal government to change the policy. I don't just need money. Printing money does nothing to to stifle or solve the problem. Here's the mayor of New York City. Our residents are weary. Our residents are angry. Our residents are seeing the impact of the migrant and assignment seeker issue how it is taken away uh, from the rest, the resources that should go to the day-to-day services of running the city. Uh, we did not walk out uh, from D.C. with any level of optimism that anything is going to uh, drastically change. These are reasonable things to say. The residents are angry. The residents are concerned. I think Toronto residents are angry and concerned as well. But I don't hear it reflected in the leadership of the city. People want everybody coming here to have a fair shot. Try and get what we have. Life's a bit of a game anyway, right? It's pretty competitive. Do you have a nice job? I bet you somebody wants it. You have a nice house? Somebody wishes they had it. Okay? Life is a sport in a way. It's a pyramid. You come out of college, you come out of university, and this pyramid goes straight. Someone's going to the top, someone's resting in the middle, and someone's going to be stuck crawling on the bottom. This is just one of those things. And immigration is a pretty hot issue. I think nations, provinces, cities have to define their approach to the movement. What do we do with individuals who aren't citizens by birth? What do we tolerate? What should we do with permanent immigration? These are reasonable questions. These aren't left-right issues. If anything, if we've got cause for concern and we have passion for taking care of people, we would ask the federal government more to define that policy. Here's more of what the mayor of New York City said. We are at an untenable situation right now, and it is painful for us. Uh, It is painful for the city. And I think that you see it being reflected in the polls. It is because our federal government actions have taken a toll on the people of this city. Uh, We're going to continue to do our job um, in this administration, uh, but these are extremely challenging times. And as I left Uh, Washington, D.C. I did not leave with optimism. Okay, so he went to the federal government. He went to Joe Biden. He went to Congress, but he's not getting the proper answers. But at least he's asking the questions. How long do we do this? What's your policy? How do we secure borders? I mean, look, no individual can do that alone. And back, you ever see movies from Roman times or you watch Gladiator with uh, Russell Crowe or Troy with Brad Pitt? Communities have to form collective structures. That's pretty simple. Why have any borders? Well, for a very good reason. They'd build a single wall around a city of individual landowners because that's easier than building a wall around each individual unit. 
So the city walls in movies like that become an early form of common property. We've got a lot of common property in Toronto. It can't be partitioned by any particular citizen. You know on your property, this is my land, but when you cross the sidewalk, that's the towns or that's the cities. And it's important that we all contribute to at least ideas and policies to upkeep and guard those walls. We don't want them being breached. And this is, again, this is not some extreme aggressive sentence to say. We're losing the battle here. And you're going to lose people who believe, like myself, in bountiful immigration, bringing people here that can make a difference to society. we got to start asking these questions. I saw none of that, none of it, from the mayor of Toronto yesterday. And I wanted to. So soon? Someday? We need a new mayor? Three years? When will it happen? Just ask the federal government. Don't ask the federal government just for money. Ask them the tough questions as well. How long are we doing this? What's the policy? Very reasonable questions to ask. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. One of the big issues coming to city council a little later on today is what happens with Uber and Lyft. There's a bit of a divide between the taxi industry and the Uber and Lyft industry. And it was thought John Tory was overly friendly to the Uber and Lyft industry. But that same, if you will, accusations being made towards the taxi industry for Olivia Chow. The taxi uh, lobby, the taxi drivers, they came out en masse because Olivia Chow said, I want to make it more fair for the traditional taxis. So we found a taxi driver who's been a driver for Beck Taxi for over 37 years. Sal Albanese joins us on Toronto Today. Sal, it's great to have you on the show. I appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, my friend. How are you doing today? Uh, lovely, as a matter of fact. Tell me what you're seeing on the roads right now between what you're trying to do and what Uber and Lyft drivers are trying to do. It, has it been an unfair system towards you guys? Absolutely. From day one, we go by the book, we pay all the prices, all the fees at City Hall. They collect all the money. We have no say in nothing. And finally, before you know, Uber comes on the platform without even announcing, without anything, the City Hall. Was that even fair to get a taxi company or the ownership or what have you to have an idea what's going on? You just take him in. It's like me coming to your house, take over the place, and I say, by the way, Grady, it's my home. It's an absolutely unfair. How many uh, how many passengers fewer are you taking in a shift than, than you used to? I would say 50%. You've lost half your business. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm wondering as well whether or not, you know, are, are, are creative measures being uh, utilized for drivers to go different routes? I know you're all looking for longer trips, and I've experienced that myself. And I don't blame you for wanting to maximize your time on the road. That's that's what the that's what the goal is at the end of the day. Are, are, are you doing anything creative to try and make up that difference, Sal? Absolutely. There, there is no other way to do it, uh, Greg. There is nothing else you can do. Except, let's say, I drop you somewhere. And I said, sir, would you like me to wait for you? Are you going to come out in about the next half an hour? I'm willing to wait for you. Mm -hmm. It's just to serve the customer and earn the respect and their business. But it's not like before. There's not not much you can do. Not much you can do right now. It's, uh, It's a loss. Let's put it that way. So what would you like to see the city do? The cap on, on Ubers and Lyfts makes some sense but it, it, for, for you, from your perspective, but is there anything else they could do to make the, lev- the, the playing field more level, Sal? Maybe they can get involved in the insurance scam business where it's only two companies very much manipulate the whole taxi insurance business. Right now, 
It's a monopoly. Two companies control the whole nine yards, and right now the insurance goes as much as 10000 a year, 10K. So $10,000 a year is like, I mean, I don't pay that much. I pay a little bit less, but it's still a lot of money for drivers. And maybe the city hall can get involved in that. Maybe they can say, listen, man, you're charging too much money and give this guys a break. Or maybe the MLS can take less fees from us. But they still add it. They still take in everything they can. And if you don't, you got to take it and so on and so forth. The city hall needs to get set up. Do something about it. Maybe they can say, listen, man, this is too much for these guys. Give them a break. Uh, Sal, how much of this is generational? How much do you see uh, riders going to to Uber and Lyft and they're under 35 or under 40 years old? And maybe um, the older uh, generation is used to cabs, used to the structure. They like, you know, they don't need to worry about what's on their phone or a nap or somebody showing up. They raise their hand. You stop where to and they get in. Is there is there a bit of a generational divide on it? Absolutely. The 35 and under, maybe 40 and under are the Uber generation. This is the younger ones. They get to Uber and they have it in the app. Believe it or not, with the surge of prices, supply and demand, Uber sometimes charge four or five times as much, believe it or not, especially with the coming up holiday yeah. season. So the 40 and under, uh, you find them, the younger ones are like Uber. I call them the Uber generation. Yeah. And you get like people in their 50s, 60s, you know, they collect the cap or they order from home. But if you are downtown Toronto, 90% is in Uber. And if they flag you in the street, either they are desperate or Uber doesn't know the area and so on. Is, before you go, is there a way um, that you'd look and say, we can also modernize? What's the cab industry done not great? Like like in, in our industry, in media, or if I said newspapers or getting information out, there's ways we've had to pivot and adapt to get to younger listeners or, or TV for viewers. Can your industry do something? And is there something you haven't done that you should have? Well, at this point, no, because back taxi. They have their own app, which you can order an app and so on and so forth. But maybe if that app came like 20 years ago, I'm not a tech uh, savvy, but if that app came out like 20 years ago, maybe it will help the younger people to understand that. But again, it's all about the prices for Uber drivers and the Uber yeah. customers. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think there's nothing at this point, there's not much that they can do, even though they fight for us, so they try the best they can to make sure we are okay, but still. Um, the field is not leveled. It's not even. So you're, you've done this since you're 23 years old, 37 years. You've seen a lot. Young man, I had long hair back then. I <laughs> raised five kids. Uh, gratefully, they went to university. They have good career. They grew up in this country, born here with no accent. So I'm glad to make kids that don't great. But it took a lot of work and sweat. But I'm not the one who did that. I, I was yeah. a provider, but the mother did an awesome job. Uh, well, I want you to come on again and talk about some of those great stories and, and how you've seen the city change. You're you're very kind to give us your time this morning, I and appreciate I appreciate what you do. I appreciate you, my friend. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. And we're very pleased to be uh, joined, giving up her, her time on a, on a uh, Thursday morning by Toronto City Councillor Alejandro Bravo. Bravo. It's great to have you on, Alejandro. Thank you very much for the time. Good morning. So much for having me again. Yeah, well, you're very busy. Can you get everything in today uh, in one session or will you even be back tomorrow on Friday at City Council? It's quite possible we'll be back. It depends how uh, debate goes today. Um, we There was an attempt to stay late last night, but uh, it, we didn't. We, we ended up breaking a bit earlier. And, mm. uh, you know, well, we have to get the agenda done. 
Um, you approved officially uh, this historic new deal with the province of Ontario um, in in its uh, meat and potatoes, if you will. I think people were relieved. I think they praised the city. I think they praised Olivia Chow for her negotiating um, because she got a lot of potential yearly debt, especially with the Don Valley Parkway and Gardner off the city's books. How do you view it now a few weeks later after it was first announced? It's still historic. I mean, we're talking about um, the, what you just said, infrastructure dollars we're going to be able to use to, um, you know, to, to fix roads, to do the basic things that aren't being done. Um, and then there's the, the huge, um, you know, potential for more affordable housing. And, and some of the big items, I think, here, are, you know, the, the province of Ontario, once again, saying, yeah, there is a role to play in operating TTC in Toronto, because guess what? The whole region uh, uses it, and sometimes the whole country, when people are coming through here mm-hmm. um, to for international travel, it's a financial center of the country. Um, and so that that's important. And then there's the big, big pieces, which are the kind of money that's getting left on the table if the federal government doesn't come into match with uh, with its piece and with its obligation. Yeah, the the number that I saw uh, was just massive that the city uh, the city's costs are at. I don't think many people debate the number that the city needs eight hundred fifty three million dollars for refugee support. Quite significant. I don't think the average Torontonian w- would have pegged that number, but when we see what what the problem has become, uh, Alejandra, it's it's not surprising. It's up that it's that high. Yeah, I mean the 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 money that they announced that they would be sending the city that that has, money hasn't arrived. And, you know, since that was announced in July, the the bill continues to grow and it's going to grow next year. Refugees, asylum seekers, there has to be a federal responsibility. If they step up and pay for those bills, that's going to put the city in a much better position. And we don't nobody wants to see in the city people sleeping outdoors. Uh, The really significant thing I think that no one ever saw coming was that this premier would say to the city of Toronto, yeah, here's 200 million per year for homeless uh, shelters, uh, for shelters that we need to bring people indoors, 200 million per year for three years. That's that's amazing. That's groundbreaking. But we're not going to get that money, and we're not, not going to get some um, some money to buy uh, TTC vehicles, which we need, if the federal yeah. government doesn't come in and match. And one of the things we always heard when we were talking about refugees is MPs saying to residents, to councillors, go to the province, go to the province. Well, the city of Toronto's uh, stepped up. The provincial government stepped up. Now it's time for the federal government to do its part. What I'm seeing in the United States is mayors of major cities are going to Washington. They're going to Congress. They're going. They've even met with with President Joe Biden. They want the federal help financially, but they also want to know about policy and whether we need a shift. Um, and and I wonder about that. We want to give people coming here seeking asylum immigrants. We want to give them a fair shot at things. And I worry that money alone won't do it. Is that a fair argument? Well, I think the big part is that people arrive. They're, they're, the people that are make it to, to be a refugee in Canada are highly educated. Um, they're ready to work. They're ready to contribute. Uh, if, if the federal government can quickly process their refugee claims, the vast majority are going to be accepted. As the United Nations High Commission for Refugee um, told already the city of Toronto, and and then that means getting the work permits and um, just a small amount of help to get settled at the beginning, and people start to to really thrive here. And mm-hmm. all over the, the country, we hear that we have a, a worker shortage. This is a way 
for people to come here and stay here. What we have right now in Canada is a lot of temporary foreign workers who come in. They don't have the, a pathway to stay to, to be part of Canadian society. Right. Um, and, and so this is really important that we just, um, you know, face the crisis, work with other nations. Those are all important things. It's it's, it's um, just a ballooning number. It's, it's such a complicated issue, isn't it? I know you, you and I could talk for an hour and there aren't easy answers, are there? No, the, um, it's not easy. And some of the conflicts, um, you know, involve even like mining companies that Canada's involved with. It's, yeah. We have to have a, you know, th- that's a, those are all federal issues at the local level. What I think we need to get to is if we, if the federal government doesn't come through with uh, money for shelter um, and meet its responsibility to shelter refugees, then we're not going to get the 200 million that the provincial government has promised for shelter. And yeah. you, you and I know that we need that. Where do we go with renaming Dundas Street? And I ask because I think there's two things that people ask us on the show. I'm sure your constituents ask you, what's the cost of the project? Also, what's the accuracy of the accusations against Henry Dundas? These are tricky conversations also for for uh, human beings from 200, 300, way more than that years ago. How do we judge them? What what do, what are what are we willing to to push aside in terms of history, and what are we willing to accept? But I I also wonder if the cost of the project seems to have ballooned. Have you asked why that is? Well, look this this is a decision that was made even before I was elected. Yep. There's been a public process. There's been consultation. The, the, the you know the decision was made. I think now, um, you know, they have to follow the steps and if and uh, and the cost is what it is. Once that once that choice was made, it wasn't made by this mayor by this by this current council. I think we just have to keep going. Well, the last thing that people need, I think, is to have, you know, when council one day decide that something is really important because of a commitment that has been made um, around human rights. And then the next day say that those rights don't matter. I don't think that that's a good idea, a good way to go. Um, Why do costs escalate? Costs are escalating in every part of everything that we do. It's with inflation, with the cost of materials, with the cost of labor. Um, I think that that we just have to keep up on top of that, and I know that that we will. That, um, but the question is, yes, we have to continue to ask those very questions. I think the mayor could say, I think she could. I don't know if she will, uh, Alejandra, but I think she could say, I I want to leave this for a while just because the economic, uh, uh, you know, it's so it's such a dire economic situation. The optics of spending thirteen million or fifteen million dollars. It's an important conversation to have, but maybe table it and, and move it down there. I think people would understand if she did that. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think conversations around timing are always being had. Um, clearly, her number one priority in terms of capital investments, and she said it many times, yeah. is um, is building uh, the affordable housing that we desperately need. And also uh, looking at the transit fixes that are, you know, every day there's a delay because of state of good repair there. Um, I think that yeah. questions of timing are always worth having. Hey, uh, really, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Good luck today and settling it tomorrow. And, and thanks for being on with us. If we don't talk to you again before the holidays, before the end of the new year, we always appreciate you being on our show. 
Thank you so much. All the best to you and the holidays, Greg. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Patrick Brown is the mayor of Brampton. This is somebody who did not want uh, this dissolution, at least in the short term, because of what it would do to his taxpayers uh, and the city of Brampton for services and whatnot. And uh, the the, uh, the premier of the province agreed. Patrick Brown joins us now on Toronto Today. It's good to have you back. Thanks for making the time. Greg, uh, great to be on your show this morning. When you started hearing uh, speculation about this, Mayor Brown, was there uh, w- was there a bit of an adrenaline flow? Did this seem even possible a couple months ago? Well, it, it, there was rumors that they were having second thoughts about this, and and so we made a concerted effort to re-raise um, the concerns that we had. We had done financial analysis with um, Deloitte, showing that this was a financial train wreck. We got those numbers updated with the inflation. Um, we had a second study, KPMG, commissioned. And, and what the financial analysis showed, uh, and was the reason that I was against this from the beginning, is that it would cause the largest tax increase in Mississauga, Brampton, and Caledon history. And at a time when people are really struggling, um, groceries are up, everything is costing more. The last thing we needed was um, to have uh, a 34% tax increase. And so I'm glad that the sanity prevailed at Queen's Park, but I have to say it was the police, it was the paramedics, it was the public health workers, the shelter staff that really spoke up that, you know, I think found resonance with the government as well. It tells you that you can get policy shifted. You're right. The service workers in Peel were very, very loud uh, about not just the potential to lose jobs, not just the potential to spread them too thin, but just the basic economic circumstances the region's facing, correct? Well, and you look at, you know, We've got one paramedic force for Peel. We didn't need three. We've got one police force. So we, we didn't need three. I mean, having three chiefs and then having three headquarters, it just, it, it was unwarranted expenses. Patrick Brown's joining us on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. If we got you and your numbers person in a room with Bonnie Crombie and her numbers person, wouldn't we find some common ground? We, we've heard very different numbers from, I'll call it your side and her side. There must be a way to get in the middle and go, wait, these are the actual numbers, right? You're, you've got your very different predictions about how this would go. Yeah, well, the, the difference is we did financial analysis. There was no financial analysis submitted by outgoing Mayor Crombie, which is one of the things I found frustrating. You know, she viewed this as a legacy piece, but never did her homework, never did her due diligence uh, to show what this would mean for residents. And I kept on telling her, Bonnie, this is going to cause the largest tax increase in Mississauga history. Your residents are going to be livid. And, you know, her own police officers, her own paramedics uh, staff, her own shelter staff and her, and public health staff in Mississauga were telling her this was going to be um, a train wreck, but I, she, she never looked at it from a number standpoint, which was something that I found very frustrating because, you know, I said you know, if, if this entire debacle causes the largest tax increase in our history, I'm going to let everyone know this is not my deal. This is not my proposal. This is something you came up with with the provincial government. Does the mayor of Mississauga sign off on this deal if she's not leaving to take another job? It's a big question. Well, I think who's ever the next mayor of Mississauga won't um, follow the same um, uh, approach. Um, I think a lot of them realize that Bonnie didn't provide any numbers to substantiate this. And you know, what was most interesting, it wasn't just Mississauga frontline workers that abandoned Mayor Crombie's position. The longtime city manager in Mississauga, Janice Baker, who was Hazel McCallion's city manager, who was Bonnie's city, man- city manager, 
really the person who made the case for dis- for dissolution um, in recent weeks came out and said it was a mistake. Um, and so when you see the top bureaucrat mm-hmm. recognize that this was uh, an error, um, that really speaks volumes. Patrick Brown's joining us, mayor of the city of Brampton. Um, I, the city of Toronto is going through some city council I- issues right now, some line items in the budget. They've documented uh, $893 million um, in terms of ref- $853 million, excuse me, for refugee support. You came on our show a few weeks ago, and that was a week after someone had passed away from sleeping outside in, uh, in Brampton. Um, do you want policy decisions as well from the federal government in addition to money? I just feel like we're not asking all the right questions of what the actual policy is. Who can come here? What's the status level? What what are we doing with our borders? Don't those need answers as well? Yes, that, that, that's a, a fair comment. And so, you know, on Peel, the numbers issue has been handled. We are 900 beds short, and now we have funding from the feds for 1,050. But I think what we've seen is a spike in asylum claims. You know, the criteria for asylum claimants has broadened in Canada and it's caused a massive uptick. So like in our shelter system, it went from 4% to 67% of the shelter beds being used by um, asylum claimants. And so I think when Mayor Chow says there needs to be a permanent solution, not just an annual solution, there's a lot of legitimacy to what she's saying. Um, And so, yeah, the federal government wants to broaden you know, who can claim uh, asylum status in Canada, then it needs to be associated with a permanent funding stream. I got sent an article yesterday from uh, an Indian news organization that suggests that the Indian consulate interfered in the race you were in last summer to hinder your campaign to be CPC leader. It's very out of nowhere, but I wanted to know, I can't be the only one who knows about it. When you see a story like that, are you eager to find out more? Is it just a bunch of innuendo and speculation? How do you view it? So, um, yeah, I guess what I'd say is, first of all, I'm entirely focused on uh, on the city of Brampton right now. I, you know, I, I made my federal uh, um, uh, interest known uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, you know that 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 didn't work out. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm focused now on working with the Liberals in Ottawa, the Conservatives, the Queen's Park, who's ever in power, who can best serve um, the, the residents of Brampton. Um, and so. I'm not uh, interested in, re- in revisiting that uh, that episode, but I would say is I think foreign interference is common in Canada. Um, you know, I, I get briefings as mayor. I think all the big city mayors do uh, from CSIS uh, warning us on foreign interference. And I would say there was obviously significant foreign interference in the last conservative leadership. And frankly, I- I'm sure there's foreign interference in, in other political parties as well. And, and just to ask, has CSIS contacted you about your your beliefs about that race? Uh, not particularly about that race, but uh, I, I have been uh, warned uh, from CSIS about uh, um, foreign interference that's happening across the GTA, um, particularly by um, mm. uh, the large countries that are active on that front, like India and China. Thanks for the time this morning, uh, Mayor Brown. I know we'll be chatting uh, in the new year. If I don't talk to you before then, have a great Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Okay, all the best. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Jamal Myers is Toronto City Councilor for Ward 23 Scarborough North, and he joins us now on Toronto Today. Jamal, you're always welcome on Toronto Today, and we appreciate your time. Thanks for making it for us. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. You got a ton to do today. What's what's the one issue in, in your uh, uh, chest right now that you're most passionate about that you're eager, eager to dig into today at Council? Well, I think the issue that I was most passionate about, we actually dealt with yesterday. 
and that was making sure that we voted on and approved the New Deal for Toronto. Uh, so we started that issue at about 11.30, and we did not finish until about 5.30. Uh, that's how important this issue was. It's such a tremendous step in the right direction, and uh, you know, all my congratulations have to really go to the mayor and the premier and the city staff and the provincial staff for working this deal out. It's obviously not everything that we need, but it's a positive step in the right direction. Even the Don Valley Parkway and the Gardner, you're in Scarborough. We've talked about getting into the city for your constituents, how difficult that's been uh, with the Scarborough uh, RT um, having the, the derailment and then not being in service anymore. There were a couple of councillors that, that abstained from voting. Is there any downside to this? They were making cases about the land is really valuable and we're not sure, but this just seemed like it, it was 24 nothing in the vote for a reason yesterday, wasn't it? Exactly. I mean, there are issues that you can take with the deal. I mean, nobody gets everything they want in the deal. That's, you know, part of what makes a deal a deal. Is both sides are getting something that they claim that is valuable. Um, there were other aspects of it that, you know, I wasn't as enthusiastic about, but there were other aspects that I was very enthusiastic about. So you have to look at it from a holistic perspective and say, is this putting the city on the right direction in the right footing? And yeah, it was. So I voted for it. How will you vote today for the Rob Ford Stadium issue? You know, I'm going to listen to the debate going on. Um, I have a lot of constituents who are, you know, very passionate about the former mayor. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in a good way? In a good way. Okay. Uh, They met him personally. Um, He helped them with with their issues when he was mayor. Um, But, you know, I also understand that there's a history there that has to also be reconciled. Um, so I'm going to be listening to the debate, keeping an open mind, an open heart, and I'm going to vote in the best interest of my city and my constituents. Jamal Myers, our guest on Toronto Today. There's a lot out there about what's going on with the TTC right now. What's been fair comment? What's been fair observation? Um, it does feel like, and I've said this to you before, it feels like the uh, run of, uh, of Rick Leary as CEO, maybe it's untenable. The last time we had Olivia Chow on, she said, no, it's not. We can't have too much change. We're trying to get transit back on the lines. What's fair about what's out there about either tension between you and him or a bit of a power struggle? Well, you know, the CEO and I have a very good working professional relationship. Uh, We were just uh, together yesterday celebrating the TTC's Gingerbread Express, uh, where we had Santa and Mrs. Claus handing out candy canes on a train that was decorated uh, for Christmas in multiple languages, wishing everybody a happy holiday. So we have a good, solid working relationship. In that, in that sense, you know, but in the other sense, you know, I'm an elected official. I'm also a chair of the TTC board and I owe a duty of loyalty to the organization uh, to act in good faith and honestly with a view to the best interests of the corporation. And I also have a duty to exercise the care, diligence and skill that a reasonably prudent individual would exercise in my position. So if I see something that I don't like, I actually have a duty to say that and to state that honestly and candidly and to have a candid and open conversation, which may or may not be uncomfortable, uh, but to make sure that we're always resolving these issues in the best interest of the long-term organization. Yeah, I hear you. I'd rather have a candid conversation. I'd rather even have an intense conversation than have a lot of speculation and innuendo about it. I I would ask this. It's fair if Olivia Chow came in as mayor and kind of sometimes somebody just isn't your guy. Is it fair to say you and Olivia, in essence, inherited Rick Leary? Have there been growing pains and bumps along the way in that relationship? 
think there have been growing pains. There's obviously an adjustment in terms of the, where the priorities are. Um, the mayor Chow has a very different agenda than the previous mayor. Uh, you saw that in, you know, upon taking office, she immediately reversed the service cuts that had been implemented. Uh, so there's obviously a different change in style. And I mean, just saying, you know, from my perspective as a board chair, um, there is a board for a reason. The board is there to oversee uh, and to make sure that the organization is being well run. This is not an advisory board. This is a governance board. Uh, and there's a, always some healthy tension between board and management, and that's what makes an organization successful. Mm. Um, if you don't have that tension, then why do you have a board? Yeah. There's an email uh, from September 22nd, and I want to ask you about just one quote on it. You said, I have serious concerns regarding how TTC does inventory. Given these are taxpayers, given we pay taxes, given we all want the TTC to work, what does that sentence mean? What are your inventory concerns that you laid out in that email? Well, you know, during a visit to a TTC bus yard, upon inspection and, you know, through conversations with employees, it appeared that there were ongoing issues with inventory procurement. Uh, these issues appear to be consistent with findings from a 2021 Auditor General report um, that also had concerns over how inventory did. Uh, part of that request, uh, part of that report included a request from the TTC board to the CEO to, to quote, improve the current core parts retrieval process at TTC garages to account for and track the return of core parts for rebuild purposes, which is just a fancy way of making sure that we say, like, we track our inventory properly and that we're accounting for what we have. I expressed those concerns um, to TTC executives and to the TTC board because, again, this is taxpayers' money that has to be spent properly. And I'm glad to say that we were able to work through those issues. So are things for the TTC as we move forward, are they in a better place in your estimation than we were a couple months ago? Has, have, have, has progress improved? Has, um, how would I put it? Has uh, the, the way it's being run and organized improved in your mind in the last several weeks? Things have definitely turned in the right direction. And you see this, for example, with the fact that we now have Wi-Fi at all stations and in certain parts of the TTC tunnel. We've reversed the service cuts. Uh, we have open payments. Um, we're making schedule changes. And, you know, it looks, fingers crossed, like we're going to actually have the Edmonton Crosstown uh, opened in 2024. I don't know that as a fact, but that's sort of the indication that I've been seeing in the news. Um, so I definitely think things are headed in the right direction. And I think, you know, really kudos have to go to Rick and his team uh, for, like, taking us there. So when we move forward in 2024, your relationship with Rick Leary, you've, you've answered some important and, and, and again, honest questions about it. Do you look and go, there's some there's some stuff that's water under the bridge. This was a get to know you process. This is something where you're comfortable having him stay on as, as TTC CEO. Um, I believe that, you know, you have to have a good working relationship between elected officials and senior staff. And you have to be able to have candid and sometimes uncomfortable conversations in order to get the best results for your employees and for taxpayers. Um, I think this is a way that you treat anybody, whether it's the CEO of the TTC, whether it's the head of any other agency or department. Um, I look forward to working with Rick in the future, um, and I look forward to working with the rest of the team as well. Uh, they did a great job. If you, you know, again, I'm going to refer to that. Um, 
that gingerbread express. You just, you know, I was walking on the train with people as, you know, randomly Santa and Mrs. Claus gave them candy canes. And you just saw the smile on people's faces. It just made their day. It just was unexpected. It brightened their day. You know, Christmas can be tough for a lot of people. A lot, not everyone has a family to celebrate. And some people are here alone. They're immigrants or students. And it just made people smile. And it made people happy to take the TTC. And again, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. I appreciate you coming on, answering the questions about it, Jamal. Thanks very much for the time today. Thanks, Greg.